gotten off the topic of the Music Man far we enough. Have, well, have we? It's all about it. it's all about America. <laughs> we're, we're um, talking about the death of James Garfield and the, the, yeah. <laughs> well, but that's in Assassins. We're yeah, still in. I still, still got. Okay, still, still in the music. Good, we made it. We made still it. Thank Broadway. you for, 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 for calling that back. I can always. Oh, I can always bring us back to a Broadway <laughs> show. You just. You just. You. You just wait. Whenever my world falls apart, I never lose hope or lose heart. Whatever the form of the storm that may brew, not with you to lean on, darlings, you. Hello and welcome to the Original Cast, a podcast about original cast albums and the people who love them. I'm Patrick Flynn. My guest today has done so much. He's won Emmys. He's a former head writer of The Daily Show, head writer of Mystery Science Theater 3000, best-selling comic book author, co-host of podcasts including The Flophouse, The Who Was Podcast, and iPodius. Once conceived and pitched a Ziggy film, but I think his greatest achievement so far is that he's one of two guests on this podcast so far who can go to karaoke and unironically sing Weird Al Yankovic's I Lost on Jeopardy. It's Elliot Kalin, everybody. <laughs> Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. I'm excited to be here. Uh, the use of the word best-selling for my comic book work is is, mm-hmm. is a little exaggerated. You know, that's a flattering input, but yeah, I did I did come in second place when I was on Jeopardy. Uh, it was, it's something that yes. still burns. It still burns yes. deeply. Yeah. I'm sure it does. <laughs> but you brag about it a lot on your other podcast. Oh, so I yeah. Well, it's, it. I mean, yeah. the thing, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's the perfect humble brag because it's like, I was on Jeopardy, but I did lose. So it's like, don't worry, <laughs> listeners. If you're worried, I've, yeah, had, no, I've, had lots of, I've had lots of joys in my life. Losing on Jeopardy yeah. didn't ruin it. You know? If they'd thrown me fewer geography questions, maybe. But anyway, we don't need to. This, is, this isn't the We don't Jeopardy, need to relitigate no, that. It's not the yeah, Jeopardy right. Sour Grapes podcast. <laughs> right. That's a whole other podcast. You're not here to talk about Jeopardy. You're here to talk about... The Music Man. 76 trombones hit the counterpoint. Music Man never come up yet on this show, which is amazing. It is one of my favorite musicals. I was very surprised. Um, you sent me the list of you sent me the list of episodes that have been done already, and of course, immediately I think Sweeney Todd or Jesus Christ Superstar because I want to seem cool, mm-hmm. and those have been done already. And but I thought about the Music Man as a show. I love it. I think it's such. I think the music is so fun, and it's such a like uplifting show. But it's also kind of satirical in a way that I think is easy to lose sight of. But also during the beginning of the pandemic uh we had just bought a turntable in our house and uh my wife's parents gave us a bunch of their old record albums to kind of be the seed of a record collection which we have not expanded on but we keep meaning to and one of those was the original was their old copy of the original music main cast album and we spent so much in the early days of the pandemic when like my kids didn't have school we couldn't leave the house we spent so much time just kind of marching around the living room to the Music Man soundtrack, and so it's always it's a, it's got a very special place for us now. Uh, truly, how Meredith Wilson meant for it to be for, for it to be enjoyed, <laughs> enjoyed as, as yes. a record you listen to over and over again when you when you cannot leave the house because of a of a, of a virus that's out there. Well, know? true. Well, yeah, that last part maybe not, but I think the first part he'd be down. <laughs> oh, sure, yeah, pretty, probably pretty good. Yeah, yeah it's it's one of those. Sh- so when did it come into your life? How did you how did the Music Man come into your life? I to be honest, I didn't. See, it first came into my life as seeing the the movie, the old movie of it. Mm. When I was yeah. in my twenties already, I think my my uh, I I grew up in a Broadway going family. Um, I was going to say that seems pretty late for what I for that one. Yeah, experience. I like I love my you know my uh, my my grandmother uh, used to take us to a lot of Broadway shows and she would get subscriptions to theaters and I when I was I went to school in NYU and lived at NYU and lived there for in New York for a while so I would go to Broadway a lot but like I have this I have such a vivid 
memory. It was such a strong impact seeing the, was it like 1990 or 91 revival of Guys and Dolls with Nathan Lane and 92, like Mm -hmm. going to see that and being, I think it was 10 or 11 and being like, this is amazing. Like I've never, up to Mm -hmm. then I'd seen like the Nutcracker and like Amal and the Night Visitors and things like that, you know, like kids, kids theater type stuff and seeing and from there on, it was like, oh, I love this stuff. But for some reason, the music, man, I think probably because there just wasn't, there was, there was that Craig Bierko revival in yeah. 2000. Like 2000. And by yeah. that point, I was, I was in college, and I think I was only going to see stuff that I could get really cheap tickets. I would get like at whatever the roundabout theater was doing, I could get very cheap sure. tickets too. So I would go to see those productions. But uh, for some reason, my mom was just like, "Hey, you ever seen the Music Man? I'm sending you the DVD of the movie." And I watched it, and I was like, <laughs> "Why haven't I seen this before? This is amazing." And yeah, and the. Uh, and it's just it's just a really wonderful show. And so since then, I've seen the movie many times and uh, and, li- and listened to the album, like I said, a lot. But there's part of me that's like, when I was a kid, why didn't I have this? Like, I really would have liked to have had it um, when I was already living in a world where we were listening to the soundtracks of uh, Field on the Roof and West Side Story and Guys and Dolls and, like, all the other kind of classic Broadway shows. Like, why was this not – why did it take my mom so long? Why, mother? Why? <laughs> it's a great failing yeah. on her part. So right? I wish I could it's say, really- like – Oh, I grew up. I grew up with the Music Man, but I kind of didn't. And, and there's a weird way that it feels more of a discovery of mine in a strange way. Even though my mm. mom literally sent me the movie and was like, "You should watch this." Right. It's because I wasn't introduced to it as a kid. I knew like, I like on the Simpsons. Like I, I knew from like Simpsons jokes and things like that. Like right, seventy six Trump bones and yeah. Monor- yeah, I knew the monorail episodes. Yeah. So, like the idea of yeah. Harold Hill, you know. But yeah. uh, but hearing the, you know, like many things on the Simpsons when I was a kid, hearing the joke. And then finally encountering the thing the joke was about and being like, oh, that's what it, or like oh, yes. Mystery Science Theater, the same thing, like, oh, yes, that's what it is. Much. Oh, that's oh, yeah. that's what that's a joke about. That one line of right. dialogue that's been in my head for 10 years. Forever and ever. Yeah. And I've been laughing and I don't really know why. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's very, I mean, because it is, it's iconic, yeah. the Music Man, which I think is why, like, it, but I think it's an iconic in, in a way that modern musicals aren't being allowed to do i think because they run for so long on broadway is that i encountered this show in community theater in high schools mm-hmm. like that's where i saw it i saw high school productions of it i probably have seen six high school productions of this show yeah when I, you know when i was young it's a, it's a great high school show because it's got a huge cast yeah and there's yeah. and like the songs are you don't have to but sing there's like that six well. parts yeah right. and, and there's the and that's one thing i think one of the things i think that's iconic about it is just listening to the album Listen for this podcast, just listening through it all the way through, not dancing with a child at the same time. So I could really focus on it. It's like, oh, this show doesn't sound like any other show I could really think of. Like mm-hmm. in some way, like the so- it is so much more like lyric focused than melody focused. The lyrics don't rhyme seventy percent of the time, and it's so mm-hmm. much it is like it feels like he saw the way Rex Harrison is in My Fair Lady and was like, yes, that is what everyone in this show will sound like most all of the, the time. time. It's like talking this thing and we're talking a song but we're not really singing it and it's like uh but it, it works so well but it's like you don't see a lot of shows like it. but anyway you're saying there's but for, but it works for for like kids that way too because you don't have to have an amazing voice you know to do it and it's a hit so people come see it you yes. know it's a show that yeah. everybody knows it's like oh so and so high school is doing the music again oh i'll go see that you know yeah. how you know that's gonna be my aunt has played piano in i believe a dozen productions and if you just <laughs> that's start amazing. humming wells fargo wagon behind her she kind of starts twitching <laughs> I wish I knew. 
of maple sugar on my birthday. In March, I got a grape I get And once I got some grapefruit from Tampa. Montgomery Ward sent me a bathtub and a cross cut saw. Although the Wells Fargo wagon is a floating down, is in a brief, it's a prize of COD. It could be curtains or dishes or a double boiler. Or it could be, yes, it could be, yes, you're right, it should, it could be something special. Something very, very special now. Just for me. She has some great stories about the way different ways people have performed the solo lines in really? Wells Fargo Wagon. Which, yeah, which are just you know the great people. People, high school students especially, can really try to make that line. You know that I got a box of maple sugar on my birthday. That's their moment. They're a <laughs> senior, and they're gonna they're gonna take it. They're gonna be remembered <laughs> for this moment. Yes, they will. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. It is. It's and it's just one of those. But I was struck by looking it up on IBDB that it has been only. You know, it's been for a show that is huge. It's only been done on Broadway four times. Yeah, one of which is a Dick Van Dyke limited run they did in 1980, which I did not know about. Oh, which I wish is, I could have seen that. I bet. I bet he was amazing to see in it. I don't. I don't yes. know how else the rest of it might have been. But it, he. Uh, it's also starred a, a a young Christian Slater as Winthrop. Okay, uh, that I don't. Love. That I would. Oh, I would have paid to see that. I think I, mean, I would have would, paid to see that. That would be interesting, I guess. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's some wild cat. That gets, that's he's more of a Tommy Gillis than a Winthrop, but you yes, know, it thank was, you. It was it was <laughs> young. Um, but it did. It is. I th- I think because it lives more in the sort of community era. When, like when they announced the new revival with with uh, Hugh Jackman, and, uh, it 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 felt kind of weird that they were doing. Music Man, because I can see Music Man. You know what I mean? Like, I can yeah. find that show. And I don't... It also strike, brings this this trend, I think, of old Harold Hills. And I don't know where... Like, well, Hugh that's... Jackman strikes me as a little too old to be Harold Hill. Dick Van Dyke certainly was too old to be yes. Harold Hill in 1980. But Robert Preston wasn't a spring chicken when he did it. No, when he was... I want to look up... Either. When he did it, he was... Yeah, he's in his... I guess he was in his late 30s, which is still... Okay. But when he did the movie, he That's was... That's true. Everyone just looked older back then. Yes. I think but, is also... But when that. he did the movie, he was in his 40s. <laughs> yes. And his 40s is a weird... It's a weird age for Harold Hill. But it's... Uh, but yes. I'm so glad he did the movie because it's like, I want to see that performance oh, yeah. on... Oh, yeah. On, and there are some... There are... There are parts of like seventy six trombones that I think are better in the movie than are on the, than on the album. I think there are a couple times mm. that, there's a couple times in the album where his voice is kind of losing it a little bit, and there are times in the, yeah, and, and in the so I'm glad the movie exists. But there's but you're right. It's like th- this character should be like a young kind of like to, a young arrogant like thinks he can do anything, doesn't play by the rules guy. But he's always played by kind of like middle aged man. And yeah, the and and uh, Sutton Foster is playing Marion now, right? And as much as I yes. love Sutton Foster, like that's that's an older person to be playing this role of the like someone who's supposed to be a librarian, probably in her like late twenties, early thirties. I'm guessing it's really hard to say. It's hard yeah. to tell. I mean, at least I I am appreciative of the fact that they cast two actors who are. I mean, Hugh Jackman's fifty three and she's forty seven. They're at least comparable yes. in generational yes, terms. It's not it's of not casting... Hugh Jackman and uh, and like. Um, Oh, who's a young person now? I can't even think of anybody. I'm, I'm glad you jumped on <laughs> this because I was trying to do it in my head and it's, I couldn't. I it's couldn't not. It's not Hugh Jackman say. and Zendaya as Marion. Like that. Would there be we not go. A, yeah. <laughs> well, that's that's your greatest showman connection. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. I just and you know, what, looking on, <laughs> I didn't realize Jefferson Mays is playing the mayor in it. Yes. Well, that's the thing about this show is that if you just know it from the album, you may not realize that there are great roles in this yes. show that don't sing. Yeah. You know, the mayor is. 
I mean, I would say it's the second best role in the show, certainly for for a male identifying actor. And it is, he has no songs. Yeah, you know, he, he makes funny line lines, or two. funny lines, funny lines. But yeah, there's no. They're there's so no funny, songs. and it's another great reason for the for the movie to exist to have Paul Ford as Mayor Shin, and I mean Hermione Gingold as as Mrs. Shin. I mean, those characters yeah. are just like absolutely wild and they do such a great job with it of that great vaude, almost vaudevillian style yeah. of characters that it, they it's, are they're so it's so funny and there's so much like I think that I mean I haven't seen the current revival of it I'd like to see it but it's not you know I, it's not I, I feel like now is not the climate where I feel like I'm gonna get on a plane just to see a Broadway show right you know um, right. and also expensive who does that that'd be crazy oh my gosh. I mean people do yes. that but it's it's nuts people do do that yeah, yeah. Um, I could see like Actually, there's no. I'm like, I'm like. I guess if the Marx Brothers were reviving Coconuts, or I'll say she is, or uh, on Broadway, but that's then I would definitely fly over. But I'm not gonna. Well, yes. Uh, if, if, if someone, if, 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 someone if someone revived the Marx Brothers, <laughs> if they came back from the dead, I'd do that. But I st- and I still regret that. I regret that I didn't go to London to see any of the Monty Python O2 revival shows when they did. Yeah. Because everyone was like, of course they're gonna come to New York after this, but they didn't because nobody knew they Terry Jones did, yeah. was was so um, was so ill. But uh, from the reviews of the Hugh Jackman one, it feels like mm. this one might not recognize – like it recognizes that the show is funny, but it might not recognize how bitingly funny the show is. That like yes. the show is a – people uh, – everything keeps saying about nostalgia in the in the reviews I've read. And I think what comes across to me at least in the in the movie a little bit, but especially in the cast album, is like this is a show that is old now, but it is about a time much older, and it is – constantly poking fun at that time in the way and not in the way of like things were silly back then when people did that because the people making the show remembered that time like meredith wilson's Mm -hmm. writing about a time when he was young and so like that it is the same way that um singing in the rain is such an amazing movie in many ways but also that it is such a sharp comedy about life in hollywood in the 20s a time when the people making the movie remembered like when they made that movie in the 50s it wasn't like Oh, the sound, the silent era. That was the you know dinosaur times. So like the the so Meredith Wilson can be like, right. hey, remember in the nineteen teens how goofy this stuff was? Like remember how excited we were about that Wells yeah. Fargo wagon? That was ridiculous. Like the mm-hmm. the remember how how crazy it seemed when people were drinking near beer? Like this is like that seems so bad at the time, but now like he's there's something so uh, satirical in it. That's all they don't people don't kind of see right nowadays as much. And that's all the the breakdown, whatever you want to call that breakdown section in the middle of You Got Trouble is when he's going over the warning signs of yes. the telltale yes. signs of corruption. You know, it's it's constant references to that period of time and what could be thought of as like rebuckling knickerbockers below the knee. Like, and I imagine in 1957 that got quite a good laugh. Mothers of River City, heed that warning before it's too late. Watch for the telltale signs of corruption. The minute your son leaves the house, does he rebuckle his knickerbuckers below the knee? Is there a nicotine stain on his index finger? A dime novel hidden in the corn crib? Is he starting to memorize jokes from Captain Billy's whiz bag? Are certain words creeping into his conversation? Words like, swell, and so's your old man. What if so, my friends? You got trouble. He mentions quoting jokes from Captain captain billy's whiz bang and like that was a real magazine mm-hmm. so there are people who are like yeah. it's like now if he was like yeah. if he's like repeating all the lines urkel has on tgif like the like the audience would be like ha ah, i remember that like that's <laughs> like that's the that's the equivalent you know yeah. and but now when we watch it it's just like yeah 
antiquated. Anti- I remember reading a reading a thing, and they were like, "That was a real magazine." He's referencing a real thing. It's like, of course he is. That's why that's what's funny about it to that audience. And uh, but now it's just kind of this right. mush of. I think there's a lot of people. The, the older something gets, the harder it is for people to see that the time in between when it's set, when it was created, and eventually the Music Man. It'll be a hundred years, or it'll be three hundred years from now, and it'll be like when with Shakespeare plays, where it's like. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, I think, don't realize that Shakespeare plays, a lot of them are not set in Shakespeare time, that, like, right. Hamlet, Hamlet is set long, long ago in the past, you know? But, uh, yeah. or Macbeth is set a long, long time ago. They're like, yeah, this is what people talked like in Shakespeare days. But, uh, the, it's, and it's too bad to lose some of that. But I'm curious to see this new revival, because it feels like that's so clear in the cast album, but I don't know how they handle it in the new one. Uh, so this is your, this yes. is your, this is your uninformed Broadway beat reporter, Elliot Kalen. <laughs> Talking about shows he hasn't seen. Hasn't seen, yeah. <laughs> like every true theater fan, espousing opinions about things he hasn't, he knows nothing about. Oh, movie about. fans, too. That's the best thing about being a movie fan. Oh, that's fan, true. Is, is you can talk about movies you've never <laughs> seen as if you know all about them, you know? Well, I so, I guess, it's so where were you? In your 20s, you were already on sort of the comedy path, right? You were on your path to being... Something maybe not knowing exactly what you wanted to yeah, do, but you well, wanted I, you were I was in a, comedy. Right? Yes, very much. I knew. I knew. I think since I was, I knew I always wanted to be a writer since I was probably like six or seven, and I wanted to mm. be. An, and I gravitated toward when. I, and growing up, it was the golden age of stand-up comedy on television. Like there were so many stand-up comedy shows on MTV and on VH1 and on Comedy Central, and, and so I was just always watching stand-up comedy to a lesser extent sketch comedy and. Of course, I was a kid, so like whatever stuff was on television during the day, whatever sitcoms or bad cartoons or syndicated old shows, I was watching. But so by this time, I was in college, and I was already writing and starting to write and perform sketch comedy very primitively, and had was like the young. I was like the kid who's like submitting comedy writing to like the New Yorker and getting rejected because of course I was. I was like seventeen years old. Like there's no, <laughs> you know, and uh, but was like knew I could write funny things like I would write funny things for like the school newspaper and stuff like that and then uh and I went to and I was in college for screenwriting but I wanted to do like I wanted to be involved in comedy in some way and Mm -hmm. so the I guess I was with this but at the same time there was such darkness in me such 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 serious darkness you know (laughs) such Travis Bickle darkness exactly exactly the Travis Bickle darkness but uh the but yeah so at that time it was I think I was keyed in more to pick up the humor of it than anything else you know and Mm -hmm. there was just something about um it's such a funny show like that whole like the whole rock island song in the beginning where they're on the train oh yeah it's like yeah the other thing that i grew up on was gilbert and sullivan and it reminds me so much of that oh yeah in my house Mm -hmm. my mother was constantly playing doily cart opera company uh uh, cds of you know hms Mm -hmm. pinafore of Howard's or penzance or and uh and my grandmother loves that stuff and my grandmother was like very much my gateway to to culture you know mm. like she would take mm-hmm. me to see old movies she would take me to see uh the, she had she I, that's, she I guess she doesn't use them now because she's very elderly but she had season tickets to the metropolitan opera for many many years and so mm. and she would take different grandchildren to different operas and as the grandchildren got older and lost interest in opera uh or wouldn't sit through it i would get to see more and more she'd be like your cousin doesn't want to go see this doesn't want to go see this czech <laughs> opera do you want to go see it sure. yeah of course i do but uh yeah uh here's yennefer yeah exactly <laughs> 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 like and uh the 
that it ruined me for opera though because my my grandmother had very good seats she most of my life it was second row oh, seats yeah. at the met and then eventually oh, she upgraded wow. to first row seats and she's like this man with the big hair has been sitting in front of me for years and he finally stopped his subscription so i'm taking that seat and <laughs> the one t- and like every now and then my wife and i we would get tickets to see operas ourselves and we'd be sitting so far back or up in the balcony i'd be like well i can't see how sweaty they are i this is i can't this is not working for me <laughs> But, uh, but like, so that, that Gilbert and Sullivan vibe of like very funny, like lyric writing and very, but like fast and, um, uh, you know, there's that song. I just think it's very funny that they're, they're this and instantly the song is like, it's a show that is nostalgic for an earlier time period. And it opens with a song of, of people talking about how nostalgic they are for an even earlier time period. When you would mm-hmm. like, oh, there goes the Cracker Barrel. They want to, they want right. biscuits in in pa- packages now. Like that's, it's mm-hmm. so funny to me that the nested nostalgia that this that this show is all about. But um, but just right from the beginning of it, it's like um, it, it's like this is a funny show. There's going to be a love story in it, and there's oh, going to yeah. be like some serious stuff. And the serious songs in it are eventually are very kind of the more generic ones, except for like um, Till There Was You, you know, which is a gorgeous song, and and uh, yes, and um, Good Night My Someone, I think is a really beautiful song. But there's like, mm-hmm. a, but. There's, but otherwise, it's like, look, these are going to be funny songs. We're going to be doing funny songs here. And as a com- as a writer, as a television writer, I've gotten to write lyrics for a, for a lot of songs. And I'm constantly, mm. depending on the musician, some musicians are better, I can work with better than others at this. I'm constantly kind of frustrated with musicians and butting heads a little bit because I don't really care if the lyrics sound good or are beautiful mm. or if the music sounds like you know, I'm quoting in my fingers, good music. I want the lyrics to be funny. And a lot of times like, mm-hmm. and I feel like with this, with this out, with this show, it's Meredith Wilson is like, I'm going to have these funny lyrics. Then I'm going to fit music to it, or I'm going to write music and I'm going to have the funny lyrics kind of around the, the songs. But it's not this, uh, this feeling of like, I'm going to try to get some jokes in there, but really we've got to follow the sacred rules of songwriting and get this and make these, make these songs as melodically beautiful as possible to, to, to really register the instruments that is the human voice, you know, or whatever. So I don't know. That's a long, that's a long way of saying, I think it's a funny show. Well, that's, (laughs) (laughs) well, it's pretty funny. Uh, But it is the, the interesting thing about a lot of the songs that I, and, and, you know, I, I think this, the musical among the show among music theater snobs gets a bad rap. Because it famously beat West Side Story at the Tony Awards mm-hmm. that year. And, you know, that's fine. I don't think either show was affected, really, by that experience in the if long it's just run. too bad, and more people might know about West Side Story if it had, yeah, if it had these gotten a boost, like, you know? Specifically Wait, Whatever today. happened to that show? Whatever happened? Oh, it, nobody you know, talks about it anymore. <laughs> nobody talks about it anymore. But, of course, the the one of the... The interesting things about it, listening to it this time, was I recognize, like you're talking about with the lyrics, how much it follows... All the things that like Stephen Sondheim talks about in his books about songwriting, which is the lyrics for music theater have to be clearly understood. Mm-hmm. So your word choice has to be suited to the music. You have to hit you know open vowels on high notes and things like that. But you also have to make sure you're using words that are easy to follow, rhyme or not. The flow has to work so that your ear can pick up what's going on as it goes. And this show is that from top to bottom, yeah. with probably the exception of My White Knight, which is, I think, universally regarded as the lowest moment in yeah. the show. My White Knight, not a Lancelot, nor an angel with wings, just someone to love me, who is not ashamed of a few nights. 
Shapoopy notwithstanding. Oh, I mean, well, that's if you're I'm, Shapoopy, I barely consider a song. It's at this point, like it's such. I have so, that's it's such a anytime and like when I get to that part of the movie, I'll just skip it. Like I hate it so much, I don't like. Oh, it. Oh, even Buddy Hackett's sort of wild, crazed delivery straight to the camera. I just, I, I mean, it, that that I like that Buddy Hackett's doing it. I like him. Yeah, but, but it's the the song sounds bad. It's a bad message. Yeah. The lyrics are 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 just like everything about it and also that it's making up a term and the term doesn't sound like the thing it's supposed to be describing now a woman will kiss on the very first date is usually a hussy and a woman will kiss on the second time out anything but fussy but a woman who'll wait till the third time around head in the clouds feet on the ground she's a girl you're glad you found she's your shapoopy 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 the girl is hard to get shapoopy 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 but you can't win her yet I did some research before that. I was like, I got to find out. Like, I got to just double check that Shapoopy wasn't a real word that people used. Sure. And it's not. It's a made up word for the thing. And it's like, it's such a dumb, it's everything about it is so misconceived. And and uh, and the other yeah. song, and uh, the White Knight song is just kind of like, all right, this is just kind of like, this could be in any show. This could be anything. Do you anywhere. know the, do you know the lore behind My White Knight? No. So the, 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 the legend is that Music Man was out of town. Uh, pretty much as is, but without my white knight. And Frank Lesser came to see the show. There was some other song there in that in that position, I believe, as the story goes. Mm-hmm. And Frank Lesser went to see the show, and then the next day came around to Meredith Wilson's hotel and handed him my white knight, and said, "Here, this is what your show needs. Put this in <laughs> as the romantic number." And he did. I mean, obviously, my white knight is song in there, and didn't didn't want credit and didn't want any of that. And what then that legend I think got a lot of traction because it was replaced. It's the only song that's replaced in the movie. Uh huh. And except for a little, the all I want is a plain man, all I want is a quiet man section. So the legend is that Meredith Wilson wrote that part, and then Mer- and uh, Frank Lesser wrote the rest of it. I don't know if it's true. It's a great story. I, I don't know if it's this is a good story. And the idea that like. Oh, Frank Lesser brought me a song. Like I can't say no yeah, to him right. like this. I guess I can no to Frank Lesser. I, I guess right. I gotta put it in, but it's like the same way that like um there was I was doing a uh years and years ago, uh I was making a thing for the Daily Show that Larry David was doing the voiceover for, and he was like and we were recording a voiceover and he goes just the first draft of it, uh, knowing it was going to be rewritten at some point. He was like, oh, you should put this part in. You should put you should have him say something like this. Say a joke like this. Mm. And we were like Okay, like we don't, it doesn't really work with what we're doing, but like Larry David said it. And then yeah. we recorded it, and he goes, Oh, I noticed you put that joke in. You didn't just put that in because I told you to put it in, did you? And we're like, No, 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 it's, we really liked it. We liked it. Okay, great, great, great. And then we cut it out of the edit, and we just didn't. But it, was like, but, it, but it was that kind of thing where, like, if the right person comes to you and says, You need to put this in, you're like, Okay, like I can't say no to Larry David, like in this comedy moment like it, that yeah Meredith Wilson's like I can't say no to Frank Lesser like he's gonna go to the show and he's gonna see that's well, not right. in there he's gonna see and well they're, they're, I mean the, yeah it's not like I mean the, it would be like if Larry David showed up to you with, and delivered yeah <laughs> that's like, true this is what I'm gonna say and you'd be like <laughs> oh okay thanks Larry uh because I imagine for him that's a weird sort of collaboration moment where he's just like thinking he's a comic pitching jokes and and you guys yes. are like that's Larry that's Larry David like if that's okay. I it, guess we'll just do what Larry David wants it, to do. It was really yeah. that, he, that like he was either at first it seemed like, OK, we got to do what he has to do. But then when he came back and he was like, you didn't put that in just because I told you it was like he was yeah. understanding the dynamic in a way that he hadn't understood before that we were just two schmoes yes. who work on this other show. <laughs> and he's Larry David. And like, yeah. And, and also being like not wanting it to be that way. 
that like he wa- mm-hmm. he wants that joke in there if we think it's funny and he wanted right. to know that we thought it was funny like he doesn't he doesn't want to be given a sop but at the same time right. it would probably hurt his feelings a little bit if we were like a little bit it's not yeah good. i was going to say don't want to put it in although now that i look no. back if there was anyone who would be able to roll with it eventually it's probably larry david yeah like, probably larry david yeah but at the time as a <laughs> as a as a as a young man who was way well, way below him as i still am on the totem pole of hollywood you know uh, it's, but uh but uh, so I can understand if Frank, if Frank Lester's it, like just like I'm going to that Marx Brothers show. Frank Lester comes up to me. He goes, "You should put this yeah. in your show." I'd be like, "Okay, yeah, of course, I gotta okay. do it." So they brought Thank back you, the Marx Brothers. They brought back Frank Lester. Like, we gotta. This is quite a resurrection machine you've got rolling over there. No, and they picked just the right people to use it on first. Yeah, right. The Marx Brothers and Frank Lester. <laughs> oh my gosh, what a combination! Mm-hmm. He can rewrite "Baby, It's Cold Outside." Finally, we can get the. Oh, we can finally, get that. yeah, we can fix finally. that. Fix that. <laughs> the that, nation has been crying. That's for. one of those. It's or so he... funny. Every now and then, there's one of those cultural scandals, I guess, where it's like, "Do I need a strong opinion on "Baby, It's Cold Outside"? I've gone years without encountering this song. Like, is it something I really mm-hmm. need to like? You don't want to sing it? I understand. That's fine. Oh, you right. like it? Okay, go ahead. Yeah. Like, it's not. It's not the. Uh, I can understand if that. If that. If people were mad when that was a huge song. When that was an enormous yes. song, you couldn't get away from it. But uh, it's just—I so think funny. it gets lumped into the general people don't like Christmas music. Yes, that discourse, too. and it's one where you can have a good reason not to like a song. So it gets that drum it, gets. It's also—I'm going to say this. This is might be controversial. This would be even more controversial than my statement on Shapoopy and how much I think. Oh it's, my gosh. I, how much I don't like it is—I think "Baby It's Cold Outside." I've never heard it performed in a way that didn't sound smug. That didn't sound like mm-hmm. the performers were real smug and were like. We're being so witty. This is so cute. Yeah. Like, this is, aren't we, aren't we adorable? And it's always like, ugh, no thank you. Because there was, wasn't there a John Travolta, Olivia Newton-John version a couple years ago where they switched parts? Yes, yeah, to make it okay. Oh, man, that was, well, but it was, (laughs) I don't know if songs can jump sharks, but that certainly felt like I'm I'm like, we're, we're done. Yeah. We should put that one away for a little while. That was Frank Lester came out of the, out of the, out of the machine. The revival machine was like, you right. know I think that like, song's shut over. it down. Right. Yes. Just shut it down. Right. Just shut it down. It's fine, guys. Don't worry about it. I have other songs. You may have heard of most <laughs> There's of them. a lot of them. It's a, it's a, ba- it's a deep catalog. I'm not, I'm not. Yeah. I'm, I'm good. I'm doing okay. Right. People <laughs> mo- don't really know I wrote this song. They just know, like, they know me for other things. It's fine. <laughs> but I also noticed in listening to this, uh, from, from Wilson, sort of one of the genius things about it is there's this pervasive theme throughout the show that music is kind of magical. Yes. You know, music yeah. brings joy, music brings life, music brings happiness. And one of the, but he never really explicitly states that. You know, Harold Hill doesn't have a big speech about how music is You know, is everybody, the thing there's one thing right. that can break down the walls between human hearts. I'm telling you one just thing. It's music, I'm telling those Each of those notes is a bullet out of a gun, knocking down, a, knocking, knocking down enemies, pow, 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 and those enemies are hate, disagreement, dis, you know, disenfranchisement. Like, that's, yeah, there's no, there's no scene like that, which I'm glad about. And there's, and there's, oh, very glad. Yeah, and there's something that in, um, it comes through much more, I, it's funny because in the soundtrack, you just hear like the barbershop quartet type stuff. And it means you don't have the scene mm-hmm. where he's teaching them how to sing. And like, there's the, yeah. uh, that the, in the, in the, it's such a, it's such a powerful thing how like, he goes, you know, singing is just slow talking. And he teaches these guys who don't like him how to sing. And for the rest of the movie, that's all they can do is that's sing together they and they love it. Yeah. And, so, and they yeah. can say things to people in a way that they couldn't, ex- that they couldn't express before. And even like the word he used, he goes, just say the word ice cream, ice cream. Yeah. It's like, it's yeah. a word that just means pure delight, like, and just joy mm-hmm. and like, you're right. There's a. It's woven all throughout it how music is the thing that brings that lightens people's hearts, you know. But without someone saying like, it, you know. 
Well, and even at the beginning with like Rock Island, like it just comes out like music, the the rhythm of it just comes out of the train and yes. then creates the sequence. And like you reminded me, the Good Night My Someone is just really, it, I mean, it's a piano lesson that yeah, then yeah. she sings on top of. That there's so many moments where the music just kind of emerges out of the ground and really prepares you for that wonderful, wonderful ending. Yeah. <laughs> which is just so great. <laughs> Everybody playing so badly. And... uh and everybody loving it because it is great. Yeah. It's really great. And being, yeah. so, and being so proud of it. Like there's, there's a, yeah. the, the one thing I don't like in the ending is, and on the soundtrack at least, there's that finale where they're like kind of trading off lines from the songs. And just the way it's mm-hmm. recorded with echoes, it makes it sound like it's what's, what's rolling through uh, uh, Hill's, Professor Harold Hill's head as he like, as he goes, falls into a coma. Descends or into madness. Like there's something kind of, yeah, descends <laughs> into madness. There's something kind of scary about it. But yeah, that the ending is not, and I feel like this is, this is, it, it's there's this tightrope of satire and genuine like nostalgia sweetness and mm-hmm. and it it lands it so well the fact that like the town comes together he does make a town band they're terrible and like they end but everyone loves it and then you have like in on, in the movie at least like you then see them playing and you hear the soundtrack version and it's like right. they've kind of willed themselves through their own imagination into being a into being a band and it's like that yeah. you don't have to be I think that's it's such a beautiful message it's like you don't have to be good at music to do music and to enjoy it. Yeah. Like, you can be bad at it and it's still fun to do, which is which is a huge, huge uplift for me because I can't sing and I'm not good at music, but I'm going to do it anyway. And like this, <laughs> but I spend so much of my time There's singing. A, you, you dedicate know? large portions of the flop house to singing. Oh, so I imagine I love you, it, you it's certainly just, have a passion it's, for because it. Because it's purely joyful, you know, and, it's, <laughs> and it annoys other people and that gives me joy also. <laughs> and that's your two favorite things. Yeah. <laughs> there is also this, another thing that runs through this show is this dual identity of everybody that mm-hmm. that everybody is one thing and then another you know there's every every character pretty much is introduced by, by someone else to someone else in the third person so yeah. like from harold hill in the first scene charlie cowell which is the role i played when i did it in college gives this long speech but tells us who harold hill is and then we meet him and then we see what he does tommy gillis is another like the mayor gives this long screed about how he's from the wrong side of town and mm-hmm. all that stuff and then we see him behave in a way that is both those things at the same time. We see him set off a firecracker at the thing. Obviously, that's bad kid behavior. <laughs> but he's also pretty crafty, and he genuinely loves uh, the daughter. So he's got, you that's, know, it's a lot to another him. Another thing, I love that. I love how that character is like, he's a smart bad kid. He's he's like, mm-hmm. he's not Bart Simpson, you know. He's not like, right. he's not like uh, you know, the, the mean bully or something like that. He's like, he's a kid who has no outlet, so he causes mischief. But yeah, then he's like, mm-hmm. I invented this thing so we can hold the music while we're walking. And it's like, that's amazing. Right. Like, that's great, you know. Right. But, and, but you're right. And even, and even Marion, you hear about, you hear about Marion before you, before you see her, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. We see her, you hear about her, and then you see her, and she doesn't, we, we, we sort of see her behind closed doors. Yeah. Then we get the full report on her and pick a little talk yes, a little, which right. again is like hilarious oh yes that woman made brazen overtures with a gilt edge guarantee she had a golden glint in her eye and a silver voice with a counterfeit ring just melt her down and you'll reveal a lump of lead as cold as steel here where a woman's heart should be he left river city the library But the whole thing about Marion for Harold Hill is he's wrong about her every single time they meet each other. And yes. she's wrong about him. And it's only as the show goes on and they see what what they do to each other. I mean, because the moment that breaks my heart in the movie, because 
that because it's it's such a more, more much more of a cinema moment than a stage moment, though it is glorious on stage, is when Winthrop runs down stage at the, at the end of Wells Fargo Wagon and has that long speech, beautifully written, full of S's, uh, <laughs> about his coronet. Yeah. And you see in the movie Shirley Jones just disintegrate in this like moment where her brother has completely come alive. Yeah. And all because of this guy who she knows is a fraud on some level because she knows he she has this thing from the book, knows he didn't graduate from the doesn't his bona fides aren't real. Yeah. And so, also anyone who's really paying attention to him could tell could probably tell right yes. from, the, from the start that he's right a con man. Jump. Like almost yes. instantly. Everything about yes. him is, is slimy. This it's uh <laughs> very we just we just did a uh we just recorded a, a flop house talking about um uh the new uh the new death in, in Venice. Or no, Death Menace. The new Death on, oh. on the, Death on the Nile, not Death. Death Venice. on the Nile. Death, on the Nile. Yeah, yeah, death yeah. in Venice is a very different yeah. story than Death on the Nile. Very and, different story, and, right? And just like you never read it till I bought it for you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that that, uh, that Death Death on the Nile. How incredibly obvious the bad guy is from the moment you see him. He's so oh, slimy, man. and not to spoil it for anybody, but but it's like, and with the music man, it's yeah. similar. It's like you got to be so, bending over so. And I guess that's part of the joke of the show is these people are so there's such. They're supposed that you know he sees them as such rubes, obviously, but that they're so unsophisticated that they don't notice that he is. Um, everything about him is total, is is totally made up, and and but that she can see through it. Yeah. But yeah, but you're right. That moment where she knows this is a con, but this is a con that means so much to her brother and has brought something into his life that he never knew before, and which means so much to him. And so how is how can she, you know, uh. How, what does that mean? How does that? How does she process that? And like, how does that? Mm-hmm. How can she feel? How can she just hate this guy when he's done this thing for for her brother that's so special? You know, and it's such a yeah. And at the same time, and every time Harold, like when Harold Hill's singing like the sadder but wiser girl, and it's like you don't really feel that way. Like it's clear you do. You you would like someone that you can fall in love with. Like this is right. Like, yeah, you don't really want a like big... a floozy that you can sleep with and then go away. You know, right? It's the it's the, well, but that's not what he's saying exactly. What he's saying is so. There's there's an overarching like a, there's a grand unifying theory I have about the Music Man because I okay. think too much about things. <laughs> Where, and this is not my original. The, the the big reveal in this theory is not my original idea. I heard this from somebody else, but it, but it plays for me because. In Sadder But Wiser Girl, what he's really, you're right. I mean, he's talking about a woman with experience, a woman yes. who has lived. He's right. A woman, really. yeah. He doesn't want a woman who is, he doesn't yeah. want the pure, the pure virginal maiden that he's supposed right. to, in 1911, yes. he's supposed to. In 1911, he was supposed yeah. to care for her. He doesn't want the, he doesn't want Ethel Toffelmeyer. Yeah. No bright eyed, blushing, breathless baby doll, baby. No, sir, that kind of child ties knots. No sailor ever knew. I preferred to take a chance on a more adult romance. No dewy young miss who keeps resisting all the time she keeps insisting. No bright-eyed, wholesome, innocent female. No, sir, why she's the fisherman, I'm the fish you see. Plop, I flinch, I shy. When the lass with the delicate air walks by, I smile, I grin. When the gal with a touch of sin walks in, I hope and I pray for Hester to win just one more A. The sadder but wiser girl's the girl for me. The sadder but wiser girl for me. But uh, the the theory, the, the basic sort of conspiracy theory underneath the music band that, that people in music theater circles love to talk about is the idea that Winthrop is actually Marion's son. I don't know if you've heard this No, before. I haven't. But it makes that, I could see it. I mean, that's a it's a way of darkening it. It makes sense in a way. That yeah. that uh, that that um, what's the guy's name? 
Madison did actually is Winthrop's father and Marion is Winthrop's hmm. mother. Um, it's a real Jack Nicholson situation. It is, it, 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 to a certain extent, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but uh, it, it does, I've, I've heard that espoused as a joke. I've heard it poo-pooed by people who I've, I've offended more than one fan of the Music Man by <laughs> mention, suggesting that it might be true. Um, How dare you? Well, I think that's very funny, too, because it's like, that's not the Marion I know. When like, Well, and it's the very, not? like, well, just because he's so much younger, my mother had me when I was like, no, 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 oh, that's, not what, that's, not, that's yeah. not what I'm saying. But it is like... You have to remember, at certain... that time, it was very common for blah, 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 that... blah. Yeah. <laughs> I get a lot of that. But what I'm more thinking of is I like the idea that for Marion as a character, either either truth can be – either can be true. Either yeah. what she says about Uncle, Uncle Maddie, as she calls him, like being a benefactor, a friend of her father who took care of them and all that sort of thing. That can be true. But it can also be true that she had this life experience. She loved a man who was much older than her. They had – it was not a – would have been very frowned upon in the town they live in. They had a son together. Like they, that would have obviously also been tremendously frowned upon. But there was a way they could cloak it. But it has given her this experience. It has hardened her as a person. That when Harold Hill comes in and she knows he has a secret and is not everything he claims to be, there is a mutual connection there. I like that. It's like we're all lying. We're all not quite telling the truth. But that doesn't mean we're not good people. That well, doesn't that, mean we don't want good things, you know. That well, kind that, of stuff. that also that like so when she, that what I like I like about that, you know, it's it's fun as a theory. If if someone did a production where that was explicit, I might be like, I don't know. But yeah, I, like I, I don't. Yeah, no. But I like it as a theory because it also because I think at, like you're getting at it's like so when he's singing the sadder but wiser girl, he doesn't know he's singing about Marion, but he is. Yes, and exactly. And when she's singing about her her white knight, it's because that's the opposite of the experience she's had. You know, it's not. Yeah. Um, What's her name in Guys and Dolls singing about, uh, you know, and I oh, will yeah, meet the, him um, when the time yeah, when you time have is right. to yeah, yourself yeah. a Scarsdale yeah. Galahad, you know, right. <laughs> the breakfast eating Brooks Brothers type. Like, it's not right. someone who doesn't know anything else in life and is projecting yes. a fan. It's someone who is like, I just want my white knight. I've been through this. This is not what, how, what life has given me. I want someone who's just going to mm. take care of me and stay with me rather than, you know. Uh, who not, just not wants me? Who wants me? Yeah. I mean, it was. And, it's the real feel. Like the the, yeah. the the thing I like about my white knight is that she's singing. Like I just want somebody who wants me. And if occasionally he thinks about the things that I think about too, that would be great. Yeah. But really, I just want him to want me more than he wants everybody else. Yeah. And that's beautiful. Like that's a really nice. You know, I wish the song was better, but it's a beautiful. <laughs> it's, it's a beautiful, a beautiful intention, moment. as opposed to so. Yes. Yeah. So then it goes a little bit of Shapoopy, which is a bad song with a bad intention. So my White Knight mm-hmm. is a, is a bad song with a good intention. You know, that's true. I guess yes, you would have to put Shapoopy. Shapoopy gets convicted on uh, for for cause. I yeah, think, it's, on, that it's, you can, you can prove. Bit. Yeah, you can prove cause and, and motivation on that one. This is not a. Yeah. You know, the the the, the Shapoopy, uh, the House Committee on Shapoopy really made its case that <laughs> that, that Shapoopy was intending the things that it was saying. You know. <laughs> Senator, <laughs> oh my! I can't even imagine. And what, what did and uh, like. what did and what did uh, what did the man say? What did the man sing after that? He said to give give her a squeeze when she wasn't looking, and if right. you got a squeeze back, that's fancy cooking. Uh, yes. Okay, I think our case is closed. Thank you for right. your time, yeah, Mr. Wolfington. What did you mean by fancy cooking? Did you enumerate? <laughs> but again, I, mean, I would like to remind the committee I didn't write this song; I just performed it on Broadway. <laughs> <laughs> It's not my words. It's a character right. I played. Right. Yes, but we used the r- resurrection machine to bring back all the people it's allowed now. We can't bring back Meredith, Meredith Wilson, so here you sit. <laughs> we ran out. We did. We used. We, we brought. We brought you back before Meredith Wilson. Right. We ran out of slots. We should have. We should have brought right. him back. Yeah, but we should right to answer these questions. <laughs> but yeah. So, 
So Iggy, if you could tell us what 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 it was about, right. like what is the fancy cooking exactly? The, yeah, I mean, because it is such a, it, but it really songs like that in shows like this fascinate me because they are purely functional. It yes. really reveals when you when that the, the thing that makes a Broadway show or a live show, forget Broadway show, a live show different from a film is that the reason Shapoopy exists is to kick off Act 2 with a bang, mm-hmm. to get our energy way up, because we're going to get into a lot of slow romantic plot stuff, and we need to get, you know, we ended on Wells Fargo Wagon, we can't just, like, slump into Act 2, we have to jump into it. Yeah. And so I here ass- we go. And I assume also to give Robert Preston a little break. Like, nor- like yes. instead of having him do the high high energy number... Give it to his sidekick so that he can, because he's been busting himself all all act, and uh, and he's still got. Does he have any other big stuff after that? I don't remember. He he has a lot of scenes, but he really takes act two because he dances in Shapoopy Usually comes yes. in at the end yeah, of Shapoopy dances with Marion, but he doesn't sing again until there was until till there was you. At yeah, the end right. of the act, virtually because he, he's because at that point you have to assume that after doing you got trouble and seventy six trombones. And the Satterberg Weiser, like it's a and lot Satterberg of, it's a lot from, of yeah. songs from him in the beginning. And you have to I, now. Now I'm imagining uh, Meredith Wilson is like he's has a song for Robert Preston in that in that act, and Robert Preston's like, "My voice can't handle it, Meredith. Right. You got to put something else in there. You got to put something else." Well, I do have this. I do have this song that I I threw away as soon as I wrote it. Right. Put it in there. <laughs> as I was writing it, I was erasing it. It was should, a really weird. experience. I should say musically, it's not a bad song. The only the only issue I have no. with it is is with the lyrics and I mean musically it's not an amazing song it's certainly not it's another one where it's like it's functional yeah it's functional yeah. exactly but it's yeah. it's if it was about something else I mean I I just remember when I first watched it the first time just being so thinking the terms shapoopy was so strange like it's not yeah it just does it's not a word that sounds like what it's supposed to be communicating and you watch it and it is one of those times where the where the show stops and it's literally yes. like and this character is performing the song for the other characters so it's not like yeah it so it's like I get what you're saying. Like you got to start. You got to start that act with with energy. But then it's like, right. what's the what's going on with this show? Like where, yeah. <laughs> what's like where's the show going? Hold on. Yeah, because it, but that's the, the if you look at so especially from this period. I mean, you look at Broadway shows from like the why certain like you, you feel like that's a weird time to have a song or this is a why does this yeah. character get to sing in this moment? It is nine times out of ten because like you said, the lead needs to sit down. Yeah. You know, we need to give Ethel Merman a break. That's why we have All I Need is the Girl. Now, All I Need is the Girl is a great song, but it is like that that's the reason this character who we haven't heard before suddenly has a dance, big dance solo. That reminds me of there was years ago I went to see Loretta Lynn perform because I'm because oh, wow. I think she's amazing. And her voice yeah, was yeah. astounding. She you know, she I don't know how old she is now. This was probably ten years ago. So she was already in like her seventies, I think. And her voice sounded great. But there's a certain point in the show where she goes I gotta sit down. My backup boys are gonna take some time for me, so I gotta. And she just sat on a chair on stage while her backup singers did a couple songs, and it was like, you know mm-hmm. what, Loretta, we get it. Yeah, go for it. Like this is. Uh-huh. And then she got back up and she did, you know, a bunch of her. She only sang her hits. I remember someone, someone requested. She goes, any, uh, uh, someone was yelling out a song from the album she did that Jack White pr- produced, and she turns. Oh sure. Mm-hmm. And she turns that woman in the audience. She goes, honey, I don't remember any of my new songs. <laughs> <And it's> like, <laughs> That was so funny, but it's like, but I get it. Like, if you're the if you're the performer that the whole show is resting on, it takes so, a colossal yeah. amount of energy to to not have to take that that time, and you want to build it into the show so that you're, the second act is not you're not dealing with a performer who's flagging, you know, through it. Yeah, because um, they got to do it again tomorrow. Yes, like they got to do it eight times a week sometimes. Like yeah, 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 yeah. 
it's it, it's a so with all the, I I am always fascinated from as a from a writing standpoint of like all those little decisions you have to make in a musical because it's live and it's on stage and we like you said we have to give characters a break we have to slide things over we have to change the set it's my favorite example of that is in um is in Guys and Dolls for um I think it's Sue Me. Yeah, it is Sue Me. That's right. That's the one that Nathan Detroit and and uh, and, and his his fiance yeah. sing down. They sing it down in front of the curtain mm-hmm. because behind them they're changing the set from the crapshooter to the <laughs> uh, prayer hall, and like they just needed they just needed like ten minutes to do that. So they give them like this this comedy scene and song, mm-hmm. which then was cut from subsequent productions because people were like, well, that's just it was just written to change the set, and we can do that faster now. And then reinstated in the '92 production because it is actually hilariously funny it's and a, like very it's a, it's good a really song. Fun, yeah. I never knew that they removed it from the other version because it's a really funny. Moment it was removed from this, the, the the next the the next revival, whatever the next revival uh-huh. was, took it out, and then it kind of like it was in and out for a while. But '92 kind of slammed it right back in, and no, uh-huh. people don't cut that anymore. That '92 production was just like so like, and I went into it as a kid, so I didn't oh, yeah. know. I had no other versions of Guys and Dolls to compare it to, but mm-hmm. like, but just seeing it, it was like. Oh, this is like this. It was like it was hard. It's hard for me to imagine like a better introduction for for uh, like a kid like me to Broadway to see to that, Broadway to, yeah. to see that production and be like, it's super funny. <laughs> There's that one boring song that the that the that the, the, her dad the sings. The dad sings. More, yeah. I cannot mm-hmm. wish you that. There's, yeah. so there's only oh, one boring man. song, and then but that like it's so funny. The songs are so catchy, and even the ones like. That there's like second tier songs that are great. Like there's like Luck Be a Lady and mm-hmm. all the other big ones. And then you've got like Marry the Man Tomorrow, or whatever it's called, which is, or, Marry, or, the, Man Marry Today, the Man Today, yeah. mm-hmm. which is like, yeah, yeah. It's not one of the like top, top songs in it, but still a, a, such a that fun a song. song. Like it's so good. Yeah. Like the, uh, the, there's so many good songs in it. And so to see that and that they did it in that production, uh, it was like that it was so, um, we're not updating this. Like we're not, we're doing right. this like, the, it, we're not going to try to set it now or something like that, you know. And just, but they, I guess they, I guess they updated it somewhat in, ter- in some ways. But like it was, well, they kind of Dick Tracy did a little. bit. Yeah, they bit. did Dick Tracy like they, a little bit. That's true. Yeah, they cartooned it up a little bit, but a little bit, not not a ton, but not, but a little. Not yeah, so they much stylized. Not it. so much that everyone was like, rah, 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 like some of the characters mm-hmm. were, but also that, uh, you know, but that the cast was astounding. You know, just, well, they stylized they stylized the design of it. Yes, they didn't yes. stylize the performances, which I think was a good. Jerry Zach's decision, um, who also directed this revival of the music, and uh, uh, coincidentally, oh, I didn't realize that to bring it up to, to to heighten the world that the characters exist in, but recognizing that the characters are already heightened. Yes, I don't yeah, need yeah. to like. There's already a character whose need... name is nicely, nicely, and he just says nicely, right. nicely all the time. Like... I don't need I don't need Nathan Lane to try to do more. You know, I just <laughs> no, exactly. need Nathan Lane to do to <laughs> do Nathan like, Lane. Yeah, but the, the uh, <laughs> there's I remember a moment in that where. It's like they have to go into the sewers. Like that's where the craps game yeah. is going to be. And mm-hmm. just watching them go down a manhole and then go into the sewers on stage and like everything lifts up. And mm-hmm. I think until I saw the Spider-Man musical, I didn't see a piece of stagecraft that so astounded <laughs> me until that moment where it felt like the whole theater was going underground with them, you know. But again, I like mm-hmm. I, this is my memory of it from years and years ago. So I don't know how, how successful it really right. was. But, but did you Have you looked at... Speaking of that, though, have you looked at any production photos of the original Music Man um, L- lately? I, not lately. I think just the ones that are on the the ones that are on the sleeve on the album. Sleeve. On the sleeve, yeah, yeah. But I am no. fascinated by the fact, and this is actually true if you look up West Side Story from the same year, obviously too. How Broadway sets of the nineteen fifties and sixties 
were basically high school sets yeah. of the 1980s and 90s. Yeah. Like it is really like it's just a painted backdrop, bare stage, couple of props and but like it's just it's just a flat or something or something yeah. you know that's just straight and looks like it was painted by your high school, you know, <laughs> teacher. And just and just to put out there and like to look at that like that's what production values used to be and then in the next decade, they got more, more and more complicated in the '60s, and obviously in the, into the '70s, and then eventually Cameron Macintosh came along, and you know, <laughs> Bob's your uncle. That's the end of that. But uh, he, you know, it, it's just fascinating to me that it is there is a nostalgia for this show for an Americana, but like you say, it feels sort of misplaced and in the wrong direction. Like this show is not nostalgia for a period. It, it's satirizing. It's satirizing. Yes, yeah, it. It's satirizing. There's a, there's a tiny amount of nostalgia, but the, but like you said earlier, a knowing like winking nostalgia of like, can you remember, can you believe it was like this back then? It's like the way the wedding singer, the movie, cause I've never seen the musical is about the eighties where it's like, remember this time things were pretty ridiculous. Like that kind of, that kind of nostalgia as opposed to like, Oh, the America of yesteryear. Oh, when, when people were more innocent, it, it, you know. It's the, it reminds me of like it's like Main Street USA at Disneyland. If everybody wasn't taking it so seriously, yes, yeah. Like I love going to Disneyland, to Disney World, and I, I've done it before. My like my wife and I are Disney adults, all that. But I <laughs> walk through Main Street USA as fast as I can because really I find it pretty creepy. Like yeah. I just sort of have to like skip through that. Um, the cookies are good. But other than that, like, it's just like, there's, there's, it is I know, not a, I, I know at Disneyland, there's this one place where you can go in and watch six different old Mickey Mouse cartoons at the same yes, time. And like, that's yes, a great place for kids to rest yes, their legs at the end of a long yep. day. Yeah. But otherwise, yeah, I miss I that at Disney World when we when we go there. But <laughs> yeah, it is. It, yeah. Main Street USA is is sort of like rever like memorializing and idolizing a period of history that didn't exist you know what yes. i mean and it's so white which is just horrifying well, that's the, i mean that's the other thing is it's yeah. a and the music man is it'd be and there was that there's that new york times article a little bit ago about how the music man originally had a, a plot in it about a handicapped child and like learning yeah. people people discriminating against them and uh as much as that would have been a, a very valiant and moral to I'm I'm glad they excised that because it yeah it wrong have loaded, show yeah it's the wrong show it would have loaded yeah. weight onto this that it cannot it can't really bear but uh, yes absolutely but, but there is a yeah it's the it's the extreme it's to be nostalgic for that era to be wholly nostalgic for it is to shut your eyes at this point deliberately at with Walt Disney mm-hmm. I'm sure he just didn't notice or didn't care but right. he probably noticed as, <laughs> he probably noticed but didn't know that I didn't know there was any anything that could be different but is to is to deliberately shut your eyes to the experience of any non-white, to a certain extent non-Christian, to a certain extent non-male, to a, to a very deep yeah, extent to a non-straight. definite non-straight, yeah. yeah. Like, and, and, and non-cis doesn't even begin to enter right, into it. Right, that's like, not even, yeah. It's, it's like a, it's to close your eyes to this huge, it's the same way that, like, I grew up just having it told to me as common mainstream, whatever, the 50s were such a great time, and you look back mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, it was bad for a lot of people. Like, it was bad for yeah. lots and lots of people. And Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, that the Music Man is not, I feel like it's not nostalgia in that same, in that same unquestioning Well, because it's, like you say, it's nostalgic, but nostalgic in, I think, a way where it's like, I mean, not, because it's also not like, like you say, like, these people were so dumb or weren't these people wacky. It was like, Look at how these people behaved. Isn't it silly? And also, isn't it pretty much how we behave now? Yes, yeah. Like, isn't this pretty much? And that's the best kind of nostalgia for me is the is the stuff that looks back honestly 
and in looking back honestly, often recognizes that we haven't changed. Like the costumes have changed and the words have changed, mm-hmm. but the attitudes are still very, very much the same. And I, this is not a show, like I said, this is not a show to put, you know, if to, disabled if you, rights or or racism onto. Like, even, it won't, even it, it, have, like you say, it can't sustain that weight. There's that little bit of like clearly – Clearly, the the bad boy in town is he comes mm-hmm. from an immigrant family. You know, it's like Polish. Yeah, it's yeah, Polish, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. But I think, explicitly, and yeah. And there's a way to do the show where I get where I guess where that's a black character instead of a white character. But at that point, you are the show is stepping is trying to step over a puddle and then falls into the puddle turns out to be ten feet deep. You know, and it drowns it. Like it's right. It's just yeah. it is not the it's not the right show for for a heavier or a more realistic message. But it still says. But I think you're right. It still says something about like these people. What it really is is these people are so eager to be fooled, and isn't yes. that crazy that they were so unsophisticated? They were so eager to be fooled. Hey, guess what? That's our world. Yeah. Like that's what we live in. Like this that's is what it is. Th- there's two kinds of. I feel like there's two kinds of satire that work. Most satire does not work. As someone who spent much of his career in satire, I've now come around to the <laughs> idea that it does not work usually. That <laughs> there's what I would call like grotesque satire, like hostile satire. Where and the, mm-hmm. the rule of all satire that I've come up with that I'll tell anybody, but is is a uh, that satire exaggerates to expose or exaggerates to reveal mm-hmm. where I'm going to take a thing you don't even notice because you take it for so, so much for granted and I'm going to exaggerate it to such a grotesque degree that you can't help but see it and recognize that there's a problem with it. And the best version of that, although it's not funny, is Dr. Strangelove, a movie that is very scary, but it's not funny. There's mm-hmm. very few good jokes in it, but right. they're like, Hey, everyone takes it for granted that we live in this world where two countries could just kill everyone at the same time. I'm going to exaggerate it to such a degree that you recognize this is insanity. And so um, the Music yeah. Man kind of does that with a little bit of this. But the other kind of satire is the one where it's like that's, – that's the first kind of satire. I'm going to exaggerate it so much that it becomes scary, that it becomes mm-hmm. – you're uncomfortable with it and it bothers you. It's aggressive. And the other kind of satire is this one where it's like, isn't that silly? Isn't that amazing? It's you. Mm-hmm. Like that is yeah. the, this thing. They said, "Can you believe that people act that way?" You do that. That's us. Like yeah. it's yes. and, and the music man pulls that off. I feel like so well when it's when the people making it either recognize that or want to highlight it, as opposed to like that's what I keep hearing. And again, I haven't seen the revival, but I keep hearing about the revival of this. Is it's like the revival is nostalgic for like the Broadway of yesterday, uh, right? Like you're talking about where it's just hey, it was just a bunch of great songs and big energy in front of a bunch of painted flats, and you know what? People walked out humming a humming a tune, right. and it wasn't this complicated hamilton stuff and it well you know with all the right. rapping and it wasn't this uh and it's not this uh you know difficult this, multiculturalism yeah exactly and, uh, and it, you know and it's not yeah. uh, it's not your uh your spring awakening gloominess you know <laughs> it's just just fun stuff and it reminds me of right. um and i wonder if like you're saying there's so many high school productions of music man it reminds mm-hmm. me uh, in a lot of ways of my favorite play of all time i think We'll see if I feel this way in a couple of years. My favorite play of all time is Our Town, which I think is such. It's like a show that gets a bad rap, I think, because high schools do it a lot. And high schools do it a lot because there's a lot of characters in it. And it can be, if you're not watching it right, it becomes nostalgia. When mm-hmm. when you're watching it right, it is about how life is really sca- sad and really scary. And you've got to take advantage of the moment to love somebody because you're going to die someday and you can't go back and they're going to lose you. And mm. if you go back and we that we walk through our lives with such blinders on about the things around us. And it's only once we've lost them that we really notice them, and by then it's too late. And I think it's such a gorgeous show. But it's easy to do in a school because there's no sets, there's no costumes, and there's like 20 characters. There's 500 people in <laughs> there's it. There's yeah. people in it. So like, and, yeah. it, so, and it, because cause it's set in a small town and there's so much like, you know, Grover's Corners, it's a, it's a funny little right. place. You know, there's a, and I think a lot of schools just don't do the last act also. <laughs> so it's like a, my wife talks a lot about seeing her big 
I think her big Broadway introduction. She grew up in um in Northern California, so mm. the the access to Broadway, which I took for granted growing up. Oh, every kid gets to do this. Gets to go into New York and yeah. see Broadway shows all the time. Uh, was partly this kids' production of Into the Woods that they did for children, mm. where they just do the first act and they don't do the second act. Yeah, and Into the Woods Junior. Yeah, yeah. Into, the, <laughs> Into the Woods Junior. That's what it's called. When yeah. you license it, it's called Into the Woods Junior. Because yeah. mm-hmm. that makes yeah. me think it's that, like Jim Henson's Into the Woods Babies, <laughs> but like, uh, they, and it's and there's a and it like <laughs> it just makes it a different show. And I feel like with the mm-hmm. with Our Town or the Music Man, there's a way to do it that is missing that dimension of it that is looking at that time as opposed to just being like being that time you know or 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 celebrating it you know which we do and i actually should say at this moment uh about to open down here in dc at only the theater is a production of the music man which is done uh where a deaf actor is playing harold hill and they're really? incorporated asl into it, which i cannot wait to see the show can sustain that it can sustain the like that kind of level of of uh of modernism if you want to call that that you don't have to cast it straight all white and you don't have to cast it all straight and you don't have to cast it you know in the in the boring way yeah it can sustain that kind of level but if you try to put more weight on anything in this show it's just going to collapse because it doesn't you know it, it's a very flimsy table that it's already it's built here yeah, it's but a, it's gorgeous <laughs> oh it's a, it's so much fun and it's yeah but it's already about it's already a show about a lovable con man so like it's hard for you yes. to, it's hard to to put too much more import on it you know which about. i wonder i wonder though if that's one of the reasons it, it, i i i will say the first thing i thought when they were, review, were reviving music man was like i don't know if i'm ready to go laugh yes. at a con man yeah, right exactly. now i really don't think that's funny right this second yeah um and yeah, it was just one of those weird moments where I had never thought of it before as a show about a con man until I was like, yeah, he is not great. Oh no, huh. he's, he's just he's just a crook who comes in and lies to everybody. Yeah. and I think there's a right. there's and there's a long there's a long history in American culture of lovable con men, and as in American mm-hmm. politics of lovable con men, like the the uh, and so I think it's probably I think that blur of nostalgia, I think the audience seeing it at the time would also be like, this guy's a con man. Like, he's a liar. Yes. And this is, and yeah. we're enjoying that, but we're not forgetting it because there's not that, there wasn't, wouldn't be that haze, you know? But you're right. There's One a, is- I, it's something that, it's like, um, oh, what was it? There was some, uh, oh, it, you know what? I had that same experience with uh, the second Boss Baby movie where uh, <laughs> that, that was, cut. that was being- not what I thought you were going to no, say. No, <laughs> but it was like, <laughs> Boss Baby, it, it's about like, He's a blonde baby in a business suit. He's always kind of pouty and mm-hmm. and and, uh, and, mm-hmm. and smug, and he gets whatever it's Alec he wants. Baldwin. It's Alec Baldwin, and it was like, right. you know what? This is not what I want right now. Like this is, I don't mm-hmm. want to see this character as like a baby who's the hero of a movie, and I'm supposed to root right. for him. And the movie itself is not amazing. It's not. As, <laughs> well, I was going to say, and it's not. No, it's it's not I haven't seen it, it's, but it's fine. If, if my kids want to watch yeah. it, I'll let them watch it. As opposed to other movies where I'd be like, no, you can't watch that. But uh, sure. That's not. It's not actively. It's not shapoopy. No, it's, it's my not, white exactly. Mind. Yeah, right. but uh, it's, yeah, exactly. I'll tolerate it. But but I feel the same. Yeah, but you're right. And I wonder if that's a conversation they had when they were doing when they were developing it, or if they were I just can't imagine it is, or, they, or no. if they just like didn't put two and two together because they're like, right yeah. now people want to. People are tired of how how crappy the world is. They want to throw back. So we'll do yes. the Music Man, we'll right? Do and music they, Man, and they right. accidentally stumbled onto like uh, <laughs> to something that's more relevant than they than they intended to. Well, be, and you know? it's. 
it's this funny thing, and I'm sure you, as somebody who has watched tons and tons of movies, are familiar with this, but the listening audience may not be. There was this paradigm shift sometime in the, I think in the 80s. You, you know, I think you know more about movies than I do, so you might be better, be better at this. But like, there I was a so, moment you where- you know a lot more about Broadway than I do. So, it's, so we've got to even the scale <laughs> well, this somehow. Might, I, I, but you have a movie podcast and I have this. So this <laughs> is like, fair. this is the ba- the way the balance should be. <laughs> um, the uh, Is that there was a point where we stopped- like if if someone was morally reprehensible in a movie, if they were a con man or a thief, they would have to be punished at the end of the movie. Yes. Um, where they couldn't get away with their crime, which they don't. Like in this case, in Music Man, he doesn't get away with it. He is he is reformed, he's, and he's the reformed. band exists. He's he's, and he's, yeah. he's sentenced to imprisonment in marriage and in that town, right? Forever, forever, like, and ever. Uh, it's, if anything, there's there's a Twilight Zone version of this where he's there now, is a definite Twilight Zone version. He's been of this absorbed movie, yeah. into the collective or collective of uh, of the of this tiny Iowa town, you know. And it's really it's a stark realization you can kind of see best, I think, in the two versions of the Italian Job, where in the original version of the Italian Job, they they don't get away with it, or maybe they do. Like it ends well, on this it kind of ends on a it ends on a kind of on a gag, a literal cliffhanger. Yeah. But the. Uh, there, there was this thing that happened sometime. Maybe it was in the '90s where we somebody realized, hey, if the people are stealing from someone worse than them, and we make the person they're stealing from super bad, then they can be lovable con men, and that's why we have oh, Ocean's Eleven's another good example. Yeah. In the original Ocean's Eleven, spoiler alert, they do not get away with it, but in the new one, they created Andy Garcia to be the villain, and then we're stealing from the I villain, the so it's they fine. Bre- they like genetically designed Andy Garcia in a lab to be the villain in the movie. <laughs> we need someone who's so, could be we such a reference to right. We've got to create a new, we'll call him Andy Garcia. Build him for me. Right. But well, it's something that, I think it's a little bit less straightforward than, I think there is, there is a shift in that in, in a big way. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, you start to, see, I mean, the production code that says bad guys have to be punished at the end of movies, mm-hmm. that ends, that starts ending in the 60s and by the 70s, it's pretty much, Gone, and that's why you can have a movie like Taxi Driver, where it's a, about a madman who goes on a bloody rampage, and then he's at the end, everybody loves him. And like you right. know, the uh, the but the, you have, but before that, you know, there's a, but it's not like a, it's not like that's a new thing in in culture, because like that's Robin Hood, you know, is like he's a thief, sure, he's stealing from oh, bad yeah, guys. yeah. But the but there is definitely there was definitely a point where it's like so from the mid 30s until like. Around the late '60s, Hollywood operated under these rules where you had to a hero had to be good or had to be bad in reform or something like that, or had to be punished yeah. in if they did something bad. Um, except in a few rare cases where it was like sometimes one would sneak through or a couple would sneak through that were like just right. you know reprehensible characters, and you get to see them, you get to experience life vicariously through them. Then in the '70s, you get the ser- you get the time when it's like you finally get movies about losers and low life and scumbags, and mm-hmm. sometimes sometimes the punishment is just that their life continues to be bad. Or, but right. by the, I think what you're getting is by the '80s and '90s, there's a sense, even more so, that audiences don't like unlikable characters, and they need to like mm-hmm. the hero. And so, mm-hmm. if you're gonna do a story where the hero does something that's ostensibly bad, then you need an even worse person. And there's a Actually, I hadn't thought about this in years. I wrote a paper on a similar subject when I was in school, when I was at NYU, about the movie Brute Force, which is a great prison oh, sure. movie. Where mm-hmm. and that all the all the hoops that the movie has to jump through to make you okay with guys who are doing a prison break that like mm-hmm. either wrong, either they're wrongly convicted or they're World War II veterans, and the warden is a sadistic madman who listens to Wagner as he beats the prisoners with a rubber pipe. Like it's all like right. all the things they have to do so that you're on the side of prisoners killing guards and getting out of this prison. And the mm-hmm. uh, 
And at a certain point, it was like all of filmmaking. Yeah, all of major filmmaking was like, well, we don't want unlikable characters. People are turned off by that. And so if they're a crook, they've got to be stealing from a villain. If they're if they're a serial killer, then they have to kill other serial killers, you know, or something. Right. You know, it's that. But I think and you're, that uh, the Music Man, I bet you if they made a movie version of it now and it didn't have this glow of nostalgia and sacredness about it then it would be yeah. like okay there's this guy who runs the town who's like mr potter from it's a wonderful life and yes. harold hill's con is gonna also be the way that they like get the town back from him you know they're gonna they're gonna well, wreck and that's him, the you know what was so funny about playing charlie cowell who is the villain of the music man he's only in scene one and the end of act two <laughs> and he he shows like, Remember up, me, folks. Hey, yeah, right here we go. My aunt and uncle came to see the show, and an intermission said to each other, "He's in the rest of the show, right? Like he wouldn't <laughs> he wouldn't tell us to come see this if he wasn't in it." Uh, and has the great joke of having the briefcase full of anvils, which is an excellent yeah. joke. But uh, is tra- <laughs> a- traveling anvil salesman, traveling which is great. Anvil salesman. Isn't that a great joke? And you're just like, God, man, wish I thought of that. <laughs> um, but so he. He's the one who shows up and tries to like with the evidence against Harold mm-hmm. Hill. He's right. He is he represents in the show to me the boring <laughs> authoritarian sort of like the the person you hate at the meeting who stands up and screams a lot of stuff and they're right, but you're like but you're missing the point. It's fun what we're doing over on this side. Uh-huh. And they get that by having Charlie Cowell be lecherous and just sort of smarmy. And he gets to be the outlet of the sort of Mr. Potter character at the end so that the mayor can swing back around. That's right. That's right. And be a good guy. Because the mayor's the one who comes in and screams, where's the band? Mm-hmm. And he's like, what? and the band shows up and then they play. And then Charlie Cow kind of is kicked out at the end and the, and the town gets to be happy in its delusion. Still a deluded group of people, but now they have music. So it, it is, it's something that it obviously Meredith Wilson that, was yeah. aware of. Yeah. That you need to have a bad guy. You need to have the counteracting force. But it, it, like we say, it's not really interested in that so much no, <laughs> because Harold I, Hill's a lovable character. He's so charismatic, and Robert Preston yeah. is so dynamic in the role. Oh, yeah. And I imagine Hugh Jackman yeah. probably is too, but Robert Preston is – I think the fact that I really know Robert Preston for this role and like a handful mm-hmm. of other small things. And whereas yes. Hugh Jackman, no matter what he does, he's Wolverine. Like it's – there's it's <laughs> uncle, like – it's a good thing he got In the my house from Oz is P.T. Barnum, his, but I take system. your point. Or, well, P.T. Barnum. Right. Even P.T. Barnum, it's like, pop your claws, P.T. Like, come on. You're the biggest You're the biggest sideshow attraction of them all. Like, you're a Wolverine. But, uh, like, uh, that, uh. Your that, bones are made of metal. You're the, you're, the, you're, the, you're the amazing metal skeleton man. Like, come on. You heal immediately. Like, but, uh, that Robert Preston is so charismatic and dynamic and never stops moving mm-hmm. and always has a, like, and genuinely, likable you know in a lot of ways yeah but it reminds me what you're talking about reminds me a lot of like the movie ghostbusters which i grew up on like that's Mm -hmm. when i was a kid i probably watched that movie that and the dark crystal probably more than any other movie um and the and ghostbusters the bad guy in the movie is the representative from the the epa EPA who says you can't have a nuclear reactor in the basement of an of an old firehouse and if you're going to be storing ghosts and using technology no one's ever seen before that explodes occasionally then the government needs to regulate it and they're like what dick and all they do with him is they just make him kind of a prig like that's all they can do and it's the uh it's the i've reached a certain age where i was like i think bill murray is the bad guy in almost all of his movies. And like, yeah, I love Groundhog Day. And one of the reasons I love it is because it's like, yeah, Bill Murray's kind of a, kind of a dick and he, and he changes over time and becomes like an okay guy as opposed to his other movies where it's like, he says whatever he wants. 
He does whatever he wants, and people love him for it. And that's just the even like even Scrooged. It still kind of feels like yeah. the movie doesn't want him to change that badly. You know, they want him yeah. to turn into Bill Murray. They don't want to. You know, and right. so it's like so like he goes from being evil Bill Murray to Bill Murray. Yeah, basically. to just regular right. Bill Murray. Yeah. To just to just puckish. Uh, you <laughs> to stripes Bill Murray. Bill Murray. Right. Yeah. And uh, yeah. <laughs> and so like uh, you're right that there's something. There's a uh, whereas the music even with that character, I still feel like the music man is like. This guy comes in, he's a con man, he never stops being a con man, but his yeah. con is so powerful that everyone believes in it, and it just becomes their new reality, and mm-hmm. that is a very disquieting message now, when we've just, yeah. when we're still living through, we haven't finished living through that. And no, America no, is still, and won't for quite a while. Yeah, America's like still slumbering yeah. through it, and so it's, there's something about, uh, and I wonder, but I wonder if people going to see it feel that on an unconscious level, and it kind of helps them the same way that like um the song who's afraid of the big red wolf became such a big hit during the depression where it was like mm. this was not a song written about the depression it's about three pigs singing about a wolf and right. like they but it became it, like people connected to it so on such a emotional level i wonder if there are people who see the music man and kind of feel that in their bones and connect to it and like what that what that happens what happens to them about that i don't know or it's probably just you know what but probably it's probably just tourists and old people going to Broadway, going to the broadway show I, it seems that way to me yeah to well no one else can afford days. it cuz the tickets are like 300 dollars a pop or whatever that's it is ridiculous. which is well and that's you talk bonkers. about you talked about how in the old days broadway sets were nothing they were they yeah. were high school sets that was when broadway was affordable that was when mm. you could decide to go to a broadway show that night and the tickets the best ticket in the house cost 7 dollars you know you mm. know, with inflation now it would probably be like 30 some odd dollars you know but it was still within reach and there's um in you i'm sure you probably talked about the season the william goldman book on the on the podcast Mm -hmm. before right where he says in it at the end he says prices are going up if they keep going up broadway's just going to be tourists and old people the price he goes Mm -hmm. he's like right now the top tickets cost as much as 10 or 15 dollars and it's like there was a that broadway is not uh and part of the reason i think is because production values have gotten they in trying to compete with tv and movies and all that stuff and just trying to live up to the fantasies of the directors, you know, the production values. Well, it's so also, huge, you know, yeah. I mean, Hal Prince always said that Broadway was always expensive. And if you yeah. check, I think from the 60, I think from the seventies up, he's right. Like if you check inflation, it doesn't really, if you adjust for inflation, which I did once, cause there's a line in Pippin, which came out in like 71, I believe, or 72, where the, the, uh, Ben Vereen says to the audience, you're not going to disappoint these people at $25 a seat, mm-hmm. are you? And I like did an inflation calculator and was like, okay, that's like $125. That's okay, like, that's a lot. That's, and there's a the, lot. And there's that scene in a, there's that scene in a, in King Kong where they go to, they go to King Kong <laughs> and he goes, and the woman's like, I forgot what she said, something about like, I don't want to be here. And he goes, you would say that these cost me 10 bucks. And right. <laughs> And that's just to see an ape stand around. That's not even for right, a show. Right, just to stand there. Yeah. But what I think the show, I, as I've I've talked to people in theater and gone through, like the the show that really broke tickets was the producers when they yeah, started yeah. charging several hundred dollars when, for the prestige of it because they floating, could. That floating rate where suddenly the, yes. it was no longer the tickets cost this much and scalpers are selling it, but the theater was like, we can scalp our own tickets, you know? Right. And yeah. now, and then I think the big prestige shows as they come to Broadway have only tried to outdo that yeah. with each other. They've tried to sell, you know, and Hamilton's an obvious example of that. And I remember, well, when, when I saw Book of Mormon, I paid way more. Yeah, Book I, of Mormon was another one. That's have. right. And I remember seeing yeah. it and watching the whole show and being like, the amount of money I paid for this ticket is never out of my mind. And it is making it hard mm-hmm. for me to enjoy this show. Mm-hmm. Because I, yeah. there's almost no show, again— Bring back the Marx Brothers. It's the only show I can imagine where the tickets would have been, where I would have been like, I'm Name getting my price. money's worth. Yeah. These guys right. came back from the dead for this show. They, they were dead. They were dead before <laughs> no. the show started. But is it that like, 
but it's it makes it um yeah so maybe it, maybe that's more the problem is the, that that kind of floating ticket price where it's no long it's like if you go to a restaurant and they're and they're suddenly charging it's the way gas works i guess yeah. where like they they all have computerized price screens so they can change it through the day based on demand yeah but like if you went to a restaurant and they're like uh, you're like i'll have the i'll have a hamburger hamburger's very popular today cost 45 dollars. Right. you know right it does. It makes it hard to enjoy it because you yes. are being, and it also explains. It's it's unfortunate because it does explain a lot of the, you know, when I go see a show on Broadway or any show like that, I am always. I'm not ex- hoping that I get an understudy, but when I get an understudy, I'm excited because I'm like, this is. I'm seeing a performance that no one's ever seen. Mm-hmm. You know, this is an evening that's happening once, and this person has never gotten to do this, and they're going to be jized. Yeah, like I yeah. get, you know, like that's that's always fun for me to watch. I love that, but. I understand that if I spent, you know, if my family of five went to see The Music Man and it cost us $2,000 and then, like, Hugh Jackman's out, I'm not going to not be thinking about that yeah, well, for the whole run. You yeah, know when, I, I mean? when I saw when I saw the producers, my family went to go see it, and Matthew Broderick was just not available that day or was sick or something mm-hmm. like that. And the show was fun, and Nathan Lane was amazing. And the guy, and I forget who the understudy was, but he was really good. But my family, all they could talk about at dinner afterwards was like, I just right. wish I could have seen it with Matthew Broderick. And... Have yeah. you seen Matthew Broderick in other shows? He's great on stage. I love he's he's a, he's a great performer yeah. too. But like, but it was still a really good show, you know. But I t- but I, yeah. I at a certain point, and it's such a it's such a uh, unending kind of vicious cycle because it's like to justify these tickets, we need a big name. Now the big name right. allows us to charge even more. Okay, then we need a big name still because which and and yeah. people expect that big name. And I wonder if and the big to, name wants to know what the last big name got paid and yes. wants to get paid more than that last big name because they're you know the new big name. And the idea it's, of like. Going to see a show and like being like a newcomer grabbing your attention. Like, um, mm-hmm. there was that I, when I was a kid, we went to see the revival of, uh, maybe I was a teenager, whenever the revival of Your Good Man Charlie Brown was on Broadway. Um, that was like 1999. Oh, okay. So yeah. I was in college then by then. Okay. So we probably went, so my family must have gone. I went with them. But like, uh, and, my mom being really excited that there was this that there was a performer in the cast that she had not seen in a show before and didn't really know, but she heard was really amazing as Sally. And it was mm-hmm. like the excitement of seeing a new person, you know. And mm-hmm. I feel like movies can't really do that too much anymore and Broadway can't really do it. So like T V is where you get to see like new performers where you're excited by mm-hmm. them, you know. But yeah. it's just a yeah, it's too bad. When it takes a, it take like the only the there was a lot of obviously great actors who came out of the Broadway production of Hamilton, but the breakout performance turns out to be Ariana Du Bois, mm-hmm. who rose to extreme prominence in that show when it went on to Disney Plus. Yeah, and yeah. everybody was like, "Wait, who is that actress who I'm suddenly seeing a lot of? Who has that great hair? Like, who is that? She's in a lot, but she doesn't really do a lot. But she's like in it a bunch. And that's when I remember there being articles about her being like, who plays the bullet in Hamilton? Like, what's that all about? And that's when she became somebody that people were talking about. So it's still the filmed version that got her to be a breakout yeah. from literally the chorus to to a breakout. Well, so it's it's such a. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and that's exciting when it when it happens. But yeah, there's a. I feel like. I know. I mean, I remember seeing Hamilton when uh, I seeing that 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 run, and it was like, and going to see it when on one of the days that Lima Miranda was not doing it, and it was uh, mm-hmm. the other guy doing it, who in some ways I think was better. I actually liked his performance mm-hmm. a little bit more, but uh, I felt mm-hmm. like, but uh, but that whole that so much of that cast was unknown to me because I wasn't plugged yeah. into the into the 
into that the Broadway community or the or kind of whatever communities they were pulling from the other performers, like David Diggs from his the kind of rap right. circles that he was in. And so it was that was that was one of those few times. Now that I say this, that was one of those few times we're seeing all these performers where I was like, that's great. She's great. He's great. I don't mm-hmm. know these people that well. Like this is really exciting. But even that was mm-hmm. kind of overshadowed by the um by uh already knowing who Lynn Memo Miranda was and like him right. being kind by of by the like, Hamilton of it all. Yeah, yeah I mean exactly. that's that's and that, exactly that is the rare well, because Book of Mormon, as you mentioned before, was kind of the same way. Book of Mormon didn't have any stars in it, but it was a juggernaut of a show. Yes. And it propelled... There's there's always those shows that come along every couple of years, like Avenue Q or things, where these shows just explode onto the stage, and it's the show that's the star. Yeah. And the people who come out of it also, you know, generally become something, and they're all very, very good. But it is that... That's where they, those sort of things come from, but those are usually, in that case, like, the writer is a star. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um... The premise is a star. There is something about it that is easily sellable and digestible. So we don't need a star. You know, we don't need the big, you're not going to see whoever, you know, in, you know, Hugh Jackman, the music man, you're going to see, oh, it's the show about Muppets and they curse. Yes. You know, yeah, I mean, exactly. Here we go. I remember, um, I remember my family going to see You're in Town and it was just the title basically. <laughs> and my grandmother was so That's offended. A great show. was so offended by the title. And, but it was yeah. like the offense was what was drawing her in. Like that's what mm-hmm. that's what we, we were all like. Well, the title has urine in the name. Like we got yeah, we got to right. find out what the show is about. And that's a moment where it's also because it's a Broadway musical. Yes, called Urine Town. We're not going downtown to the village. Like we're in we're in the theater <laughs> yeah. district, the and same, it's called Urine Town. Yeah, yeah. This is yeah. This is not a show. Yeah, we're not, exactly. We're not seeing this at a at a at like a at like a rougher playhouse. Yeah, this is something. Right. This is like George M. Cohan could walk into the right. the theater at any moment and see that you're in town is a. <laughs> That's who they use the last chit of the revival machine. Oh, yeah, on, George M. Cohen. That's right. Yeah, and then he's which got, makes sense. Suddenly he's got ten shows running on Broadway, but that's all the theaters instantaneously. It's, it's all... just every, yeah, that was it. He just you know, it's all kind of the same show, but you can't tell him that. <laughs> no, you know? no, of course not. And he'll just walk up to other shows and hand them songs, and they have to the put them in. Left and right, they no have to put it in. There's a statue. He's of like, him. I got a statue. <laughs> <laughs> um. So people can find, hear you all over the place. You've got the Flop House where you're talking about movies. I highly recommend if you haven't heard it to start with your episode on Cats, which oh, thank is really oh, fun. What a movie! What a what a uh, not a show! What a gift that keeps on giving. It's such an ama- that that you watch that movie and you're like, people chose this. People made these decisions yeah. deliberately, and they ended up with this. Oh, with that, and even in that movie, even that in that, there's a couple of moments of dance specifically mm-hmm. that works so well. There's, it is impossible not to get excited when Skimbleshanks starts tap dancing when he shows yeah. up. Also, because they give him such a big, they give him such a big lead up. He's dressed like Mario. Like why? Of course, now, you know, like. But uh, that's for grownups, for the for kids. If you have a kid in your life, then uh, yes. and they like audio entertainment, then uh, yes. on the iHeartRadio network. But it's available through iTunes or whatever, as is the Flophouse. Uh, or wherever you, wherever you get your podcast, um, okay. is a, uh, the Who Was podcast, which is a quiz show for kids based on the book, the Who Was book series. And every episode, uh, we asked, we have two kid contestants who uh, they've read about two historical figures, and we quiz them on them. And there's funny sketches, and it's really goofy. And it's a uh, and my son loves it, as oh, I told you in the email. My yeah. son Bobby absolutely loves it. Uh, we so listen to, to it that. all the way on the way to oh, the beach. And I'll, pr- I'll plug one last. The Flophouse, we're going to do a lot. Our first live show in like two years. On August seventh oh, yeah. at the Bell House in Brooklyn, it's where we, it's our favorite venue to do stuff in, and we're talking about Morbius, the hit of the summer, and so that's <laughs> movie be, so nice they released it twice. Yeah, <laughs> it'll be <laughs> it'll be super exciting to uh, to be on stage again, uh, talking about a movie without planning anything ahead of time in front of an audience for the first again for the first time in years. 
and hoping, hoping against hope that hoping the, the miracle something of the previous will shows will will come through and will say something funny at some point. Oh my gosh, Elliot! Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me. This was so much fun. Thanks for for asking me to be on, and I really like this podcast. I was glad. To, I was glad I got to be a part of it. It's exciting. Well, you got trouble, my friend. Right here, I say trouble right here in River City. Why, sure, I'm a billiard player. Certainly mighty proud to say I'm always mighty proud to say it. I consider that the hours I spend with a cue in my hand are golden. Help you cultivate horse sense and a cool head and a keen eye. Did you ever take and try to find an ironclad leave for yourself from a three-rail billiard shot? But just as I say, it takes judgment, brains, and maturity to score in a balk line game. I say that any boob can take and shove a ball in a pocket. And I call that sloth the first big step on the road to the depths of degrade. I say first, medicinal wine from a teaspoon, then beer from a bottle. And the next thing you know, your son is playing for money in a pinchback suit. And listening to some big out-of-town Jasper, hearing him tell about horse race gambling. The original cast is produced and edited by me, Patrick Flynn. Please rate and review us on your podcatcher of choice. It's the easiest way to help the podcast grow. Go to bit.ly slash originalcaststore for t-shirts, tote bags, magnets, and more. If you like movie musicals, then you have to check out patreon.com slash originalcastpod to learn about our bonus podcast, The Original Cast, at the movies. You can follow The Original Cast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at originalcastpod. Special thanks to our social media manager, Bethany Zalecki. Hi, Bethany. My thanks to Elliot Kalin for coming and talking to me. I'm Patrick Flynn. And I can't. I have rehearsal. You got trouble. Oh, we got trouble. Right here in River City. Right here in River City. With a capital T and that rhymes with P and that stands for fool. That stands for fool. We've surely got trouble. We've surely got trouble. Right here in River City. Right here. Remember the main Plymouth Rock and the Golden Rule. My children, children, Oh, we got trouble. We're in terrible, terrible trouble. That game with the 15 numbered balls is a devil's tool. Devil's tool. Oh, yes, we got trouble, trouble, trouble. Oh, yes, we got trouble. We got big, big trouble. With a team. We got no team.